speak to our hearts because on our own we bumble around and can't find any truth. And the Lord directs us towards His truth. It's found through His Son and through His Word. And so we want to pray and ask God to speak to us because that's what we need. We need to hear from the Lord. So I'll lead us in prayer, but, but I hope that it's the reflection of what's going on in your heart. Let's go to Him. Father in Heaven, Lord, we come before You because we need You. Lord, we are needy people. On our own, we only seek after what is wrong. Lord, but You draw us to Yourself. So God, we pray and ask that You do that today. Lord, there are many things that call for our attention and call for our allegiance. But only You are worthy, Lord. So now we open ourselves to You and ask You to speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I share with you guys on, on a couple occasions, my, my family enjoys um, going hiking. We like to go up in the woods and you know, find some remote place and as a troop try to get there. Um, you might think that's kind of weird. I don't blame you. Um, it is a little bit strange, I guess. But it's something we just enjoy doing. You know, and, and we're always looking. The places that I like to go are, are not the, the, the most magnificent sites in all the world. I like to go to secluded places. That's where I like to go. Um, you know, there are, there are some places you can go right here within maybe, you know, 50, 100 miles. You can see some incredible sites. And, and I've been to most of them. But what I really like to find is the place to go where nobody else is. That's what I really enjoy. And um, one of the things that, that I love finding there is, is, is just to see really the fingerprint of God. And just to sort of see pictures or, or maybe a metaphor of, of who God is and who I am as a follower of Christ. And I, I want to I paint a picture for you. And I've, I've tried to take pictures of these kinds of, of scenes. And you, just, you know it doesn't do it justice. You know, I've, I've tried to show people, this is a picture of such and such rock. And they're kind of looking at it like, yeah, that's no big deal. I know. It, unless you see it with your own eyes, it, it's not that big of a deal. So, so kind of go in your mind's eye. And I want you to picture now a rock cliff. Okay, it's maybe 10, 20 feet tall. So it's not, a, you know, it's not huge, but, but there it is. And, and there's all these jagged rocks and this, this hard structure. And you can, you can picture like these handholds that, that maybe you could climb it. Either looking down or looking above, wherever you are in your imagination, it's fine. But it, it amazes me how many times I'll, I'll find this, this rock structure like that. And right there in the very middle of the rock, there'll be this little pouch of, of rock where this soil has fallen down off the cliff and filled up this little spot between the rocks with dirt. And sometimes, somehow, a seed kind of fell off the rock and landed there in that little pouch. And there's a tree growing out the side of a rock face. It is so cool. It is amazing, the, the power of life. When something wants to live, when something is alive, it finds a way. And you will, you'll find this rock face that there's, there's no... There's no way anything could live there. It's too hard. It's too rocky. It's, too, it's, too, it's straight up and down, so the incline is too great. How can anything live there? And there'll be a little tree, a little sapling, growing out of the face of the rock. And I tell you that because that's sort of where I want to go today. You know, in a lot of ways, that's us. If Jesus Christ is in you, you're alive. 
If you're in Jesus today, you are alive. You were born dead. You know that? We're born dead in our sins, Ephesians 2. But when you came to Christ, he made us alive. I'm finally alive. And now there's growth that happens. And we look at some of our lives and it can be pretty rocky. I look around the room and I, I know some of your rocks. I know the challenges that some of us face or maybe even have right ahead of us. You know, difficult with difficulties with our, with our body or with our relationships, our finances, our work. It's like we, we are, we're in a pretty rocky environment. But let me just encourage you. There's a spot there, soil. Okay? There's a spot there, dirt. And Jesus Christ in you will grow. He will grow that plant of your life. We see that laid out in Mark chapter 4. Okay? I want to start there. We're going to work our way towards Philippians chapter 3. But I want to start today in Mark chapter 4. So turn there and let, let's read this parable that, that Jesus um, explained and taught. And, and be reminded of this great, great teaching story that Jesus shared. It's in Mark chapter 4, Matthew, Mark, second book of your New Testament. Go to the middle, turn right a little ways. In my Bible, it's on page 1,521, if that helps you out. Mark chapter 4. I'm going to jump in here and and, and into verse number 3. And this is Jesus now teaching. In my Bible, it's all in red. These are the words of Christ. He's telling a parable. This is a story that Jesus tells that has a spiritual meaning has a lesson for us to learn about our relationship with Christ. Hear the words of Jesus. Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. So this is a farmer. He's planting seed. A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and birds came up and devoured it. You can picture this hard ground. Seed lands there. Birds come and eat it. Verse 5, other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil. And immediately sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. In verse 7, other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it out, and it yielded no grain. In verse number 8, and other seeds fell into the good soil, and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding thirtyfold and sixtyfold and a hundredfold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now Jesus tells this story. He's got a lot of, he's got a lot of reasons that he's telling this. He's trying to explain the way the gospel works. And how it works in our lives and how it works in other people's lives. And, the, and there's many realities here from this story. You know, we are, we are, we're, just, we're just to cast seed and let God grow it. But a few things I want us to see here to to kind of lead into our teaching for today is there's some realities here that that I want us to see. You know, you've got got soil in this hardened path that that never takes root. And Jesus explains a little further in verse number 15. If you want to look at it, we're not going to to totally exegete this whole passage, but in verse number 15 and following, Jesus explains a little bit about what's going on here. And he says that you've got this seed on the hardened path And he says that Satan comes and snatched away this seed. And so it never even grows. And you know, I see that happen in people's lives. Where where truth is shared and it's just like it just goes right over their head. They just just don't get it. It just just doesn't happen. I've shared with you that I don't ever remember hearing the gospel before I got saved. I never remember hearing it. I suspect I probably did. 
But the soil of my heart was hardened and it just bounced right off. So that happens. We've got this seed that's on the rocky soil. It's in verse number 16. These are the ones sown on rocky ground. The ones who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. They have no root. But endure for a while and then tribulation or persecution arises. And that seed is burned up. It falls away. It burns up. You get this thorny seed, this seed that falls in the, actually it's thorny soil, the seed that falls among the thorns. And Jesus goes on to explain that, that those thorns, if, if you look at it, verse number 19, are the cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. And they enter in and they choke the word. And it's unfruitful. But then those that are in the good soil, they're the ones that hear the word and accept it. And bear fruit. I, I want to share this. I wanted to just start with this today because it's important for us to realize that life includes you as a follower of Christ. It includes some things that Jesus describes here. He describes persecution that comes our way and tribulation that does come our way. As followers of Christ, people are going to reject us and we're going to have to suffer at times. We will suffer as followers of Christ. That is, that is expected in life. If you think you're going to follow Christ and never be rejected, never be persecuted, never suffer, you're missing the boat. You don't understand it. This story tells us that Jesus is letting us know that's going to happen in your life. You're going to hear the Word of God. You're going to respond to the Word of God. And suffering and tribulation is going to come your way. It is. And you've got this thorny group, this thorns that come in. And what that is, as you read it, what it's saying is that even as a follower of Christ, the desires of this world, they don't go away. There's still a, there is in us as followers, there's still a draw to the things this world has to offer. And Jesus says, don't let it choke out the gospel. Don't let it choke out. And that's true. But all I want you to see for right now is the reality there's a follower of Christ. Your, your innate hunger for the things that the world offers, the ungodly things that the world offers, is still there. It's still there. That the Spirit of God is in you if you're in Christ, and so you've got this battle that's going on. So all I want us to see as we, as we look at this parable that Jesus told is, is the reality of following Christ. You know, we would like it to be true. We would, we, if, if you or I were God, we'd all be in trouble. But if we were, we would like to design a system where we put our trust in Christ There is no tribulation, there is no struggle, there is no persecution, there is no desire other than a desire for God. We think that would be best. But God differs. God is not of that opinion. Now why is that? Why is that? Now go to Philippians chapter 3 and and we're going to find the answer of why God allows us to remain here with the struggle, with the tribulation, 
with the persecution, with the remaining desire for things of this world. Why does God allow that? Philippians chapter 3 will help us to see, I think, the reality. And, and, and what it shows, what we're going to see is what the real design purpose for us is. You see, we're walking through the book of Philippians. If you don't know, let me just tell you where we're at right now, okay? We're walking through the book of Philippians. And we have now come to chapter 3, verse number 10 and 11. And these are significant passages of, of the book of Philippians, of your New Testament. These two verses are, are crucial for you as a follower of Christ. Let's read them and see what they say. Paul writes, That I may know Him, and Him is Christ. He has given us His life ambition, the ambition of a believer. That I may know Christ, and the power of His resurrection, and may share in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. That's it for today. Those two verses. But in them is, is the sole call on our lives. What it means to be a created creature of God who's been reborn. To be a new creature is wrapped up in those two verses. And I want us to get it. First of all, Paul talks about our design purpose. And our design purpose is to know Christ. That's why you were made. That's why you were made. You and I were made to know Christ. To have relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. To have relationship with God. As a matter of fact, Jesus called that eternal life. I I dare say that if we took a quiz right now and said, write down just a phrase that explains the answer to this question. What is eternal life? I dare say most of us would say heaven. What is eternal life? Heaven. That is not Jesus' definition of eternal life. Jesus gave his definition of eternal life in John chapter 17, verse 3. Well, hear this. This is the words of Jesus. John 17, 3. Write that down and read it. Now, this is eternal life. Oh, here it is. Jesus is going to tell us what eternal life is. Now, this is eternal life. That they, being us as believers, may know you. This is a prayer of Jesus. That they may know you, God, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. Jesus just defined for us what eternal life is. It is to know God. And last week we talked about what this word know means. It's a very intimate word. It's a word of relationship, of connection. It is a closeness. It doesn't mean to know about. It doesn't mean to to have heard of. It doesn't mean to be able to recite facts about. It means to have a close, intimate relationship, a friendship with God. That's what God wants for you. That's what God wants with you. To know Him in that way. And when Paul had written this, when the author, the author's name is Paul, He's writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit as God inspired him. But he is bringing in the details of his life as well. You need to know what he he has been living. It was about 30 years prior to this that that Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. Jesus came to Paul. Paul was a persecutor of the church. And Jesus came and confronted him. And when when Paul met the resurrected Christ... He realized he was the Messiah and he he gave his life to Jesus. 
and became a follower of Christ. And so now he's been walking with Jesus for for 30 years. He's been following Christ. And he knows what it means to suffer. He knows what it means to struggle. He knows what it means. But more than that, he knows what it means to know God. Do you know God today? I didn't ask if you're going to go to heaven. I didn't ask you if if your sins are taken care of. I didn't ask you if you want to avoid hell. Those aren't the questions that Paul would ask me and you if he saw us right now. He'd want to know, do you know God? Do you have a relationship with Him? Do you interact with Him on a daily basis in your regular life? Are you you interacting with Him in your heart? Do you share your burdens and your struggles with Him? Is He walking with you? This is your design purpose. This is why God made you. Now, you can't talk about design purpose without at least looking back to the very beginning. Go there with me, would you? Keep your finger and go to Genesis chapter 1. Let's just see this just briefly. So I want to go to the beginning so that you see that what I'm saying is valid. I want you to see that, it's, that this is a valid call that Paul has given us. That we are to know God. All the way back to the very beginning. Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Where God describes how He created the heavens and the earth. And God's making the plants and the animals and all those things and, and the water and the land and all of that. And in verse 27, there's a change that occurs. There's a change in what's been happening. You see, in verse number 26, the pattern that's been set is God said, let us make man in our own image, after our own likeness, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea. That, that's very much like verse number 24. You see this pattern, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures, and it was so. And God said, let there, be, let there be fish, and it was so. And God said, let there be animals, and it was so. But in verse 27, there's a change. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. See, we, the human being, is not special because we're smarter or because we have language or because we're civilized. That's not what makes us special. God made man in his own image. And a huge part of that image is the ability to know him. To know him. So that's why in verse number 26, look at it with me now. Verse 26, go back a verse. Notice that it says, then let, God said, let us make man in our image. God here says that. Referring to the Trinity that God was, was always existing in a relational being, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You see, God has always been relational. And so when He, ma- when he creates humans in His own image, they're relational. We are made to know Him. And you see it all the way through here. Genesis chapter 2, when, when you, if you remember what this was, God makes this special place for man. Okay? And it, it's really cool as you, as you see in Genesis. Let's go to Genesis 3. Look, look here what happens in Genesis. This is after the fall of man. Genesis chapter 3, verse number 8. Now read these verses and think about what this means. Genesis 3, verse number 8. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. 
And the man and his wife hid themselves from among the presence of the Lord God, among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and he said, Where are you? When, when, so when God makes this man and this woman and places them there in this Genesis 2 special place, apparently, the Lord God is, is so intimate in their lives that He's walking through the garden with them. And God misses their presence. You see that? God is aware that they're hiding from Him. And so God says... Where are you? Where are you? We were made to know Him. That's not just religious talk. That's not just the spiritual idea of some guy gets paid to say this stuff. That's not what this is. This is the Word of God that we were made to know God. Go back to Philippians chapter 3. I'll put this verse as you, as you turn there. See what Ephesians 2, 4 through 6 says. It says that God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And it says, He raised us up with Him. You were made alive when you put your trust in Christ. And what that ultimately means, that, does not, that, that doesn't mean anything short of you can now have relationship with God. So did you find Philippians 3? Let's, let's keep going here to see what else we can find about our, our very design and our very makeup. Paul writes that, that our, our ambition, our desire, our, our call is that, he writes, I may know Christ and the power of His resurrection. Now, let's, let's understand. I want to I talk through three things about this, okay? It's, it's truth. The truth of this resurrection, okay? I want to talk through its, its necessity. How crucially important the resurrection is for you today. For you today, in your pursuit of eternal life. Eternal life is knowing God. The resurrection is crucial for you in living out your eternal life. It's true, it's necessary, and it's meaning, what it really means for us. So he says here, he wants us to know Christ, and he wants us to know the power of his Christ resurrection. Remember what Jesus did. Came to earth, lived on earth, 30-some years, perfect life, gave his life up, turned his life over to the authorities of that day, they abused him, and they hung him on a cross, and he died there. And then they placed him in the tomb. And listen, Jesus was dead. He was dead. Now, this is what death means. You ever wonder what does death mean? I'll tell you the definition of death. We don't need a doctor to define this for us. I'll tell you what death is death is separation, it's separation. That's what the word death means. Separation. At that moment in the tomb in the ground, Jesus' spirit was separated from His body. He was dead. He was dead. And you need to understand that at that cross now, at that cross of Christ, Jesus was separated 
from the Father. My God, why have you forsaken me? Because of sin that he took on himself, he was my sin, your sin, separated from God. And if he remained there in the tomb, body separated from spirit, separated from God because of sin, if he had remained there, then all of humanity would have experienced eternal death. Separation from God forever. But that's not what he did. Jesus Christ came out of the tomb alive. He came out alive. And so now we can know him. Now that's the, that's the truth of it, okay? But let's talk about the necessity of it. You see, I think a lot of people have a Sunday school mentality. Now let me explain to you the Sunday school mentality about this resurrection. All that means is that, you know, Jesus came back to life. Okay, no big deal. I still get to go to heaven, right? That's, that's, our, that's our attitude. That's our mentality about the resurrection. Now look back at this passage. Paul writes that his desire is that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection. What is Paul driving at? Listen. When Jesus rose victorious over the cross, victorious over the penalty for our sin, so that you and I can be in heaven... That's not the only victory that he won. That's not the only victory that he won. This is also, now hear me. This is what the power of the resurrection is. He has also won victory over the power of sin in new creatures' lives. That's what this means. We now have the power over sin if we are in Christ. When Paul says, I want to know the power of his resurrection, here's what he means. He means now that I'm in Christ, I don't have to gossip. I don't have to lie. I don't have to lust. No, you don't. You don't have to. He's now has brought victory over sin. Romans says that Jesus Christ... Listen now. He died for sin. We all know that. He died for sin. Okay, he died for me. Yeah, of course he did. I'm wonderful. Why wouldn't he do that? That's our mentality, right? He died for sin. But he also, here, died to sin. He died for sin. Hear me. He died for sin and to sin. So you and I now have victory over the power of sin. So you know that person you hate? You know that bitterness you feel? You don't have to feel that. You don't have to hate them. You know that struggle you have to be content? You know that battle you have with greed, with jealousy? Every time you get on Facebook and you see it and you're like, I want to go on that trip. You don't have to feel that. No. 
You know that battle you're tired of fighting when you turn on your computer screen one more time and there they stand looking at you in your mind and you go there in your mind again? Jesus Christ offers the power of His resurrection over sin. Put this verse up on the screen for me. For we who are alive, who who live, that is, are always being given over to the death for Jesus' sake. So that, now hear this, this is so important for you and me. The life of Jesus, what life? His resurrected life. The life that He has right now. Raising victorious over sin and death. The life of Jesus also may be manifested. What that means is show is evident, played out, manifested in our mortal flesh, in this body that you're living in that is dying. Then that same passage, it calls it a jar of clay. You don't believe you're a jar of clay? Climb on that chair and fall on the ground. Watch yourself break. We, we are just, we, we're nothing. We, we are breaking and growing old every day, right? And this thing keeps on running after sin, right? But Jesus now offers His life, His resurrected life to you. So you can know Him. And you can know the power of His resurrection. Let me give you a real practical example of this of a young man that I knew. Some of you guys know this guy. I'm not going to tell you his name, but some of you know his story. I knew this person who, uh, he grew up in a rough environment. And he came to Christ through a...